the security model of your software provider mattered only so much. You needed to understand that the software developer wrote secure code. But other than that, there wasn't too much you needed to concern yourself with. Hedge funds didn't used to care about cybersecurity. Now they're obsessed with it. I would say there's macro level changes we see occurring. Hi, I'm Guy Pajarni, CEO and co-founder of Sneak. And you're listening to The Secure Developer, a podcast about security for developers, covering security tools and practices you can and should adopt into your development workflow. It is a part of the Secure Developer community. Check out thesecuredeveloper.com for great talks and content about developer security and to ask questions and share your knowledge. The Secure Developer is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Secure Developer. I'm uh, Guy Pujarni, and today we have a great guest, James Kaplan from McKinsey. Welcome to the show, James. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So, James, I know you're a partner at McKinsey, uh, McKinsey and Company, I should say, you know, and you're based in New York. You're, if I understand correctly, you're head up the sort of IT infrastructure and cybersecurity work over there. Can you tell us a little bit of context about what that means and maybe a bit of background about yourself so people can understand the context in which you're sort of providing us this great advice? Sure. I've been at McKinsey going on 20 years now. I'm one of the core partners in what we call McKinsey Technology. And as you mentioned, one of the leaders in our IT infrastructure and cybersecurity uh, service lines. I spend the large majority of my time with um, important institutions in financial services and healthcare and manufacturing and high technology uh, thinking through and implementing strategies for getting the most out of their technology infrastructure and for best protecting the institution uh, via cybersecurity programs. Okay, cool. And how did you get into this space in the first place? Like, what, uh, what happened prior to McKinsey? I was CTO of a startup many, many years ago in the 1990s, then went back to uh, business school when I decided the startup was only going to go so far. And I got very, very interested in the uh, telecommunications industry and um, eventually wound up at McKinsey doing work on telecommunications strategy and operations and technology. And as a result of that, I got pulled into some of the very earliest work back in 2001 Mm -hmm. that McKinsey did around consolidating technology infrastructure. And that was, uh, became very exciting to me because it was complicated technology issue, complicated economic issue, complicated organizational issue, and utterly critical to the technology success of some very important institutions, especially uh, large banks. And you know, building a practice around that uh, became a, a big part of my election platform as a partner mm-hmm. at McKinsey. And then uh, some number of years after I became a partner, we started to hear rumblings about cybersecurity. And I am someone who's always sort of curious and looking for the next issue. And so um, we launched a a research effort to really get underneath the covers of cybersecurity as a strategic issue. And out of that, uh, we created our cybersecurity service line, uh, which became an avenue to uh, help uh, clients in some very interesting, exciting, uh, exciting ways. 
we really built you know a cadre of people who were excited uh, to do that work and very capable in it, uh, given some of their backgrounds. And um, you know, we launched some very significant research efforts, including one uh, back in 2013 with the World Economic Forum that I had the opportunity to present at Davos, and which became the foundation of a, a book I wrote with uh, a couple of other people called Beyond Cybersecurity, uh, Protecting Your Digital Business. Very cool. Yeah, it sounds like quite a, quite a journey indeed. Cool. So let's actually dig into specifically that, right? We're going to talk. It makes sense in retrospect, but I can't claim there was um, a structured plan uh, yeah. from the beginning. Those are the best ones, you know. You just you roll with uh, with the opportunities, strategic yeah. opportunity taking. Specifically, very kind of relevant indeed to what we're digging into here, right? We're going to talk a lot about basically this combination of digital transformation or you know using technology to boost your business and security, right? And how do the two combine? So maybe starting at the top, you know, you work with a lot of these large companies, you know, they are undergoing these sort of big digital transformation changes, they need to think about security. How do you see companies come into into these projects with regards to security? How much do they think about security? How do they see security playing a role as part of their, you know, this indeed digital transformation? Two thoughts for you. First of which, for many companies, cybersecurity is increasingly a critical business issue, not only or even primarily a technology issue. So if you're a consumer bank, you're constantly thinking about what role security plays in your customer experience and how to make the right trade-offs between the services and the experiences you provide to your banking customers and your responsibility to protect them and their information from attack. It's perhaps even more pronounced as a business issue in wholesale or um, enterprise uh, financial services markets. Mm -hmm. As um, one um, CISO of an investment bank uh, said uh, a couple of years ago, he, you know, he observed hedge funds, that is, um, consumers of the bank's prime services or prime brokerage business, didn't used to care about cybersecurity. Now they're obsessed with it. Hmm. And they, as well as many other consumers of wholesale financial services, are interrogating their banking suppliers about the integrity or the resiliency of their technology platforms in the face of cyber attack and their ability to safeguard a sensitive or confidential data that belongs to the customer. If you're a hedge fund, you don't want uh, someone else finding out proprietary trading strategies mm -hmm. because they were able to compromise the information from or extract information from your uh, prime broker. In many, many sectors, you see a dynamic like this in uh, enterprise group health insurance or in pharmacy benefits management, often the CISO is spending a material part of his or her time with the sales force speaking to large business customers because they want to understand if they're entrusting sensitive data from their employees about who's using which type of drug or who has which type of medical condition with mm -hmm. another institution, precisely how 
that supplier is going to protect the data. So I, I think in addition to traditional notions of risk, which are very, very important, you're also seeing cybersecurity become an important commercial issue mm-hmm. in many sectors. And a part of the conversation, especially in B2B markets, between suppliers and customers about the sensitivity of uh, data and the use of uh, data. Now, I'll admit that this does vary quite a bit by sector. There are some sectors where cybersecurity is utterly at the middle of the uh, strategic discussion. Financial services, business services or business process outsourcing, technology outsourcing, software, especially as software providers move to uh, uh, SaaS type of delivery models, Um, anything which provides critical infrastructure, any business which provides a critical infrastructure and many parts of the healthcare uh, ecosystem. In contrast, if you have a company that does uh, uh, manufacturing of commodity products, then their cybersecurity might be a little bit less or somewhat less strategic. Yeah, very related to the the data, right? Like the amount of data that they end up sort of containing and, and it's the, as a result amount, of commercial pressure to demonstrate secure. Products. Yeah, it's the amount and nature of the data they consume or take in from customers. And then also the criticality of technology to what might be described as core business processes. Mm-hmm. So if you speak to senior medical executives at a hospital chain, they will often tell you five years ago or seven years ago or 10 years ago, the the date varies. But at some point in the not-too-distant past, if they lost all their technology platforms, they could still run the hospital on uh, clipboards, right? Mm -hmm. Now they'll say that's becoming all but impossible. Yeah. And a cyber attack driven disruption of technology systems, you know, computerized physician order entry, for example, in a hospital network dramatically compromises a hospital's or set of hospitals' ability to fulfill its mission to its patients. And, you know, more and more uh, businesses are like that. You know, in healthcare, um, obviously in financial services, and in software and now, you know, when you bought software on-premises or you bought software to install it and run it yourself on-premises, the security model of your software provider mattered only so much. You needed to understand that the software developer wrote secure code, mm-hmm. but other than that, there wasn't too much you needed to concern yourself with. However, now if you're uh, procuring software via a software-as-a-service model where the software provider runs and operates a software, that provider is now taking on much more of the security responsibility for you. They have to make sure there's a secure environment. They have to protect against insider threat. They have to configure the software in a secure way mm-hmm. uh, and so forth. So you're much more dependent on that software provider uh, from a security standpoint, and therefore 
you're very likely to have a much more stringent set of requirements, much more thoroughly interrogated for that software provider. Okay, so understood. You know, this is uh, the businesses are are sort of increasingly acknowledging and explicitly asked to kind of ensure these security practices, especially as they indeed kind of hold more data or operate more of the activities. When you go into into indeed these sort of you know you work with these large organizations, how do they currently, or if you will, pre digital transformation, or in the areas that are a little bit less inclined to be less driven by technology versus you know this change what type of change do they need to undergo you know how coming along you've acknowledged this importance of security you you kind of acknowledge digital needs right and the opportunities over here how do the two combine what are the big hitters on how does cybersecurity change i would say there's a few characteristics of for want of a better term old school cybersecurity but sometimes we call this cybersecurity as a, a control function. Mm-hmm. It's barely disconnected from the business and treated as something of a silo. That security is layered on top rather than designed in. Mm-hmm. So it's a series of technology controls put on top of or around uh, technology platforms. In many cases, it's focused somewhat more on the perimeter rather than on the individual business and technology assets. Mm -hmm. And it's what I would call ticket-driven, which is if the business or the rest of the technology function needs something from security, they make a request, and at some point in the future, the security team fulfills that request having responded to a ticket in an IT service management system. So if you need a vulnerability scan of an application, you put in a request to security several days later or a week later or two weeks later, they will come back to you and say, yeah, we've done a penetration test. We've done a vulnerability scan. Here's the issue or here's the set of issues or not. Or, you know, if you're earlier in the process, if you're thinking of implementing a new application, you say, we've written this application, we've architected this application, I need a security architect to come and review it and uh, tell me if there's a problem with it architecturally. Mm -hmm. In combination, this model has been suboptimal in, in several ways. One, because of the absence of a connection to the business, it did not or has not focused Uh, protections on the most important business risks and information information assets. Second, it creates complexity in the environment. It's more, it it procures more and more controls, Mm -hmm. uh, which add cost, uh, which sometimes can degrade performance, and which can create compatibility issues. And it's slow, right? Developer, you know, the business has increasing expectations about speed. Uh, Developers want to do things quickly, and then bam, you know, they have to make a request on security and wait for security to get back to them. And then finally, I'll note, it utterly breaks in the face of many of the evolutions expected of enterprise IT. It is designed around a waterfall on-premise model. 
and the combination of DevOps, cloud, analytics, RPA, all disrupt this traditional security model in a fairly substantial way. Yeah, I fully agree. You know, this is it's all about the continuous process, and the continuous process just doesn't leave room for gates. You don't stop to do X, Y, Z for the most part. No, you're continuous. You continue to run, and indeed, just just does not fit that model. How do you see them then adapt? So this is the need. You know, I fully agree with you. You know, around just the need to transform potentially has never really been a great idea to have security be outside the business, but just becoming increasingly not viable. How do the orgs change? You know, specifically, you know, do you see the cybersecurity groups change their location in, within the org structure? You know, how do they embed themselves better then? I would say there's three macro level changes we see occurring. The first of which is much more granular and analytic risk management. So this implies developing relationships with the business to identify what is and isn't important, being able to understand and quantify where the vulnerabilities are, making in a structured, quantitative way, making decisions about where the institution can most effectively, quote-unquote, buy down the risk, Mm -hmm. and tracking that in a very systematic, analytical way. The second is deeply integrating security into the business value chain. And this includes building the right connections between the security, IT, product development, marketing, customer care to create a holistic experience for customers that feels both secure and convenient. This means being able to articulate the company's security value proposition to their enterprise customers, and in many cases, building security into the sales motion and sales process. Mm -hmm. Uh, For anybody who's making any sort of technology or physical product, it means taking an integrated view of a potential security flaws across operational technology and information technology, because for many companies, a technology product or a technology-enabled product is now an endpoint or a mm-hmm. node on the enterprise network. It means building the capabilities to have visibility into configuration issues and potential attacks on the operational technology that runs a manufacturing process. And it means really interrogating suppliers about how they are safeguarding you know, a company's data and potentially contributing to risk or not. And the third part is creating security that will enable a digital set of technology delivery capabilities. So this includes building security into agile delivery processes and thinking about who on the Scrum team is going to be the security champion It includes building the automation and the services that enable companies to make use of cloud in a secure way. And in many cases, it involves transitioning security itself from having a ticket-driven model to what I call an API-driven model, building agile security capabilities. So we think of security as less a 
bureaucratic set of responses to requests and more the construction of a set of highly automated services around identity and access management or vulnerability scanning or secure configuration in the public cloud that developers and scrum teams can call via a set of APIs, Mm -hmm. which has the twin benefits of being much more agile and ensuring that many things get done the right way, the secure way, the first time. It makes it harder to do the wrong thing. You also asked about organization. I would suggest to you this is an issue of operating model. It's an issue of capabilities. It's an issue of relationships and credibility with the appropriate and important folks in the business and in the rest of the technology organization. It's a question of how the security organization organizes itself. For example, will it create scrum teams? I would suggest to you that where does the CISO report may be among the least (laughs) important parts of the discussion, which is to say there's a, you know, actually there's, I got to this debate on LinkedIn yesterday. Uh, There are various people who believe the CISO has to report to the CEO. The CISO has to report to uh, this issued report to the CRO. And at the end of the day, Outside technology companies and enterprises, enterprise consumers of technologies, banks, healthcare companies, manufacturers, what have you, the overwhelming majority of CISOs report to the CIO and will continue to do so for the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. And that's just fine. And in fact, many of the most effective CISOs I have known have reported either to the CIO or the head of operations and technology, and that has not prevented them from having an independent channel to the board, having a very deep and consultative relationships with senior business executives and and uh, BU heads. In fact, you could argue some of the changes that I described a minute ago imply an increasing degree of integration between security and the rest of the technology function in the sense that, for example, infrastructure is thinking about how to become agile and many heads of infrastructure are thinking about, you know, should they pivot their organizations to become one much more dominated by scrum teams that are automating infrastructure services rather than quote unquote killing tickets. That's a very parallel set of activities as the one I described potentially happening in security. I will acknowledge the considerations are slightly different or somewhat different for technology companies. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, obviously, a technology company doesn't have a traditional CIO that handles all the technology in the given institution, and you can make a, a good case that for a a SaaS provider or for a um, a hardware manufacturer uh, or even an IT services provider that um, the CISO is an even more senior role than it is at some enterprises. And perhaps I, I think in, increasing you'll see uh, the CISO reporting to the CEO for those types of enterprises because you know, technology is even more so everything they do compared to some of their customers. 
Yeah. So, you know, I think the, the changes, you know, make a lot of sense to me. Maybe one example that comes to mind is that I had the pleasure of having Jeff Belknap from Slack, the CISO of Slack, mm-hmm. you know, on the show. And he did point out that it was fairly significant for them to actually move to be, they're, they're not, I believe, uh, at least at the time, reporting to the CEO, but he is reporting within engineering. And another right. conversation there was around the basically where the primary risk lies as well. When you're a SaaS platform, the primary risk that you're really tackling is indeed about managing customer data, about access. It's about the technology platform versus maybe, you know, if you've got, you know, a retail chain of stores across the world, maybe the most important security threats that you face are a little bit different. So it's a little bit harder, but fundamentally the collaboration bit, you know, and, and being nearby the group that you coordinate with, you know, has, has played a big role there. And, and also, by the way, emphasized the other points that you mentioned, also heard from New Relic and from, from PagerDuty and the likes, about indeed APIs or security teams being service providers uh, exactly. to the rest of the organizations versus being you know, a naysayer, you know, a blocker. You know, they need to help the business thrive. So. All of the least effective <laughs> security organizations I've observed have seen themselves as policy shops that the CISO and his minions or her minions make a series of pronouncements from on high, which they deliver to various parts of the business to leaving the other parts of the business to figure out how to achieve adherence. And that simultaneously doesn't achieve the appropriate level of protection and frustrates the hell out of just about everyone uh, from an ability to get things done standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot to drill down in here. And in general, you know, we'll post the link to your great article on this topic as well in the podcast uh, show notes, as there's a lot of additional content there. I'd like to drill down a little bit into metrics. You know, so you mentioned a lot around measuring and understanding, you know, quantifying, you know, risk and the risk that you buy down. One of the challenges in security is that it tends to be fairly invisible, right? You don't know whether that great lock that you bought for the door, you know, was too much, was too little, unless you got breached, right? Unless somebody right the house. Okay. And there's in many cases a counterintuitive dynamic around metrics in cybersecurity that is if you see more issues, <laughs> that may be the result of increasing your capability to find those issues yeah. rather than the fact that uh, risk is fundamentally increasing. Very well said. You know, at Snake, we deal with uh, known vulnerabilities and open source components. And oftentimes there's this perception that when you see a, a library or a framework that have a lot of vulnerabilities disclosed on it, you think of it as, a, as one that is less secure, when oftentimes the reality is precisely the opposite. Hence, it's well informed. How do you see organizations quantify cybersecurity risk? You know, what are your recommendations around trying to measure this abstract entity? I tend to be a skeptic of top-down risk appetite statements because I, I don't believe they're measurable. You know, they you have these risk appetite. You know, we will take all inappropriate measures to protect critical business data. It's, it's a hard thing to measure against. Mm-hmm. And in effect, I think you manage your risk appetite by something of an inductive process. You know, there's a set of risks we have for $50 million, we could address this set of risks for an incremental $25 million for a total of $75 million, we can address this other set of risks in addition. And I, I think 
that type of discussion uh, tends to be reasonably effective with business managers. You give them choices, and via that set of choices, you inductively arrive at an implicit a risk appetite. What's more, I think it's incredibly important to focus on what I would call leading indicators as opposed to lagging indicators or exclusively lagging indicators. Mm -hmm. I think some management teams fixate on number of attacks, number of breaches, number of incidents, all of which I would describe as lagging indicators. Leading indicators are indications of levels of vulnerability in the environment and therefore something you can do something about. Mm-hmm. For example, you know, what percentage of systems have been patched to at least M minus one currency, right? What percentage of applications receive vulnerability scans before they're put into uh, production? What percentage of systems require two-factor authentication? What percentage of data is encrypted in motion, encrypted at rest? You can imagine you know, the full set. And then one synthesis of that set of metrics I like is to indicate a set of standards for protections. For example, all systems with customer PII will have encryption at rest, will be patched to N minus one currency, will you know, require two-factor authentication, so forth. You can imagine the list. And then you can very concretely measure adherence. You know, if this is our control spec for certain types of business data, then you can interrogate or track and measure adherence against that control spec. So you might say, in business unit one, 57% of our assets adhere to all the aspects of our control spec. In business unit two, it's a little bit of a better story, 72% of all our assets adhere to our control spec. But you know, it might be more negative when you take a look in terms of the most important assets. You say, wow, across businesses, only 45% of all systems with you know, the most sensitive data adhere to every aspect of our control spec. And also you can take a, a protection-based view, which say, okay, gee, some percentage or other of systems adhere to our control spec around data protection or around identity and access management. And that has a couple of benefits, first of which it it takes into account the fact that most breaches, or at least most uh, problems I've seen, stem from an absence of adherence to standards, not because the standard wasn't stringent enough. Mm -hmm. And then second, there's always a backlog of things to be fixed. You know, any CISO is going to be talking to the business unit CIO. There's a list of things that's longer than can possibly be done in the short term. So one CISO from bank told us that remediating the known items would, you know, in effect, consume all the bank's application development capability for the next two years, right? <laughs> yeah. So taking this type of view around adherence to specification, particularly for the most important information assets, 
can be an incredible and powerful way of structuring a conversation with a business unit CIO and localizing the most important things to address. And who, um, who do you see applying the adherence? And I'm specifically, I'm focusing on maybe this, the DevOps, the technology side, right? Developers are running fast, you know, per your previous comment, they don't want to wait for it. What do you think is like a successful scenario around, you know, when you're not adherent, you know, like who gets those reports? How much do you feel still kind of boils down to the security teams to be enacting that adherence versus the rest of the org, you know, that changed? Yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, adherence is an incredibly business unit specific issue, right? I have found it very powerful to have a, a BISO or business unit CISO construct to help develop strategies for deployment of new security capabilities inside a business and achieving adherence to a set of security standards. And that BISO, I think, you know, it's helpful for the BISO to report hardline into the CISO because you get common practice and you know, commonality of approach. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the true determinant of success for the CISO is what I describe as a, a two-to-hire, one-to-fire type of model. That BISO must be trusted both by the CISO and the business unit CIO, must sit, in effect, at both tables, the enterprise uh, CISO and the business unit CIO, and must be accepted and respected by the business unit CIO's leadership team as a integral part of that leadership team, right? And if that is true, then the business unit CISO can use context to help make a set of decisions around priorities. So it's to say, mm-hmm. okay, only X percentage of our system's adhere to our standards around two-factor authentication. Okay, that is what it is. We have a development roadmap over the course of the next two years. You know, the systems in our portfolio are being remediated and addressed for a variety of things over a series of 24 months or what have you. And therefore, the business unit CISO can work with the development leaders to integrate remediation of an application to make use of a standard two-factor authentication solution into existing roadmaps mm-hmm. based on a set of priorities and based on uh, capacity and based on, you know, in effect, often leveraging in-flight initiatives to re-architect applications or to enhance applications. And at what resolution do you see these BISOs? Like at what uh, unit size, if you will? The BISO ideally should be a very small group. It obviously depends on how big the business unit IT organization is. So it's not uncommon to have fragmented security delivery and therefore the BISO to have responsibility for, you know, this group of penetration testers over here or these folks taking care of an obsolete and bespoke identity and access management platform. You know, that may be necessary in the interim state, but I would suggest to you that ultimately there should be a highly standardized set of security services that are provided uh, via the center. There's no need to have multiple capabilities to do vulnerability scanning or multiple capabilities to do mm-hmm. encryption and motion. Those should be enterprise services. And the the BISO should be a very strategic function thinking about 
integration with the um, a business's business priorities and technology roadmap and application portfolio and so forth. The one other thing I'll note is particularly as companies start to adopt Agile and Agile development, and particularly as they start trying to move to an API-driven security service model, you do see a lot of interest around creating a community of practitioners for security and application development. The security champions. Exactly, yeah. Some people call them security champions. So on every Scrum team, there's somebody who doesn't report to the CISO, is not an incremental person, but who has the responsibility of understanding the security services that are available and how to consume them in an effective way. Yeah, that definitely kind of see that a lot in across sort of technology groups and uh I guess it's just an aspect. It's a specific aspect of security, but it's one uh, yeah. dead security. Yeah, and then part of a DevSecOps type of model. Indeed. And one discussion I was having yesterday was, you know, the institution was already thinking about infrastructure champions in every Scrum team. And the question is, okay, do you have a security champion and infrastructure champion, or is the infrastructure champion the same person as the security champion? And you know, I think there'll be a lot of experimentation and multiple routes to success around you know, the specific instantiation at each individual institution. Yeah, for sure. James, this has been fascinating, and I've got maybe a dozen more questions for it, but I think we're running out of time. Uh, before I let you go, can you just say a couple of words about, you know, if people want more of your kind of you know, great insights and uh, perspectives here. Uh, how do they find you or or a kind of relevant group in McKinsey? Okay, well, you can always um, go to McKinsey.com and look for McKinsey Technology or McKinsey Cybersecurity Practice. Uh, we frequently publish uh, content about our um, latest security thinking. Well, James, this has been a pleasure. Thanks a lot for coming on to the show. This was fun. And, um, you know, as I said, um, we uh, we just scratched the surface here. We have an article coming out in, I guess, a couple of weeks, what security means for the commercial discussion in the SaaS world. And that was based on a, a survey we did of about 60 CISOs. And we have one coming out after that on um, risk management practice in cybersecurity. And we have one also in the pipeline around um, you know, sort of open questions longer-term stuff that people should be thinking about uh, from a cybersecurity standpoint. So thanks again, James, and thanks everybody for tuning in, and I hope you join us for the next one. That's all we have time for today. If you'd like to come on as a guest on this show or get involved in this community, find us at thesecuredeveloper.com or on Twitter at thesecuredev. Visit heavybit.com to find additional episodes, full transcriptions, and other great podcasts. See you next time.